0: In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Three in One who comes in order to give us a reason to rejoice this Christmas season, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Things are a little bit different over at the fraternal order of the real bearded Santas. The Fraternal Order of the Real Bearded Santas is a uh, a social and professional group of uh, people that you can kind of figure out. Well, what they do? Uh, they are people who are real bearded Santas who who go out there and and and, and they they are called upon in order to uh, sit in, I suppose, for for Jolly Saint Nick. And uh, to go out there and, and to uh, be people that uh, are a part of, of this uh, sort of Christmas celebration that, that seems to kind of center around um, uh, a different person than what we would say the Christmas uh, season is centered around. But yeah, whatever. It, it's still kind of important, I, say, I guess. And, uh, and so we, we've got this, it, it, things are, are different kind of understanding with uh, two rules that came up for this fraternal order of the real bearded Santas this year. Uh, the two rules are, are simply this. Uh, first rule, that every real Beard, bearded Santa, if he is going to uh, continue in that organization, uh, it has to wear a mask or a face shield while they are doing their official real Santa things. Uh, So that means anytime that they are hired or or anytime that they appear someplace, uh, they have to watch out for the health and safety of everyone around them by wearing a face covering of some sort. The other one is, uh, is also sort of interesting. The second rule that became uh, an official rule in the fraternal order of the real bearded Santas this year is that they are not allowed to even mention or, or even uh, sort of uh, touch political discourse. They are not allowed to in any way, shape, or form uh, tell you how you are supposed to vote or how you should have voted or, or however uh, that was. And so it appears that the fraternal order of the real bearded Santas are very, uh, very on purpose about not spreading either biological or ideological filth into this world. Um, and and, and that, that's kind of, you know, that story, it, it gives us a sense of, yeah, this Christmas is a little bit different. This Christmas is you know, just kind of, kind of different. The BBC tells us that right now in the United Kingdom, that the government in the United Kingdom is attempting to promote this idea of Christmas Bubbles that uh, what you do is is you choose who is going to be in your Christmas bubble, and that Christmas bubble is a selection of people uh, in some places as small as eight adults that uh, you choose are are going to be the people that you celebrate Christmas with. And uh, and anybody else that invites you out for some kind of Christmas something or another, you have to or perhaps get to say, uh, no thanks, you're not in my Christmas bubble. Uh, And and so that's a little bit different. And there's all sorts of different things that are happening uh, this Christmas as as we look forward to the celebration of of what is happening in uh, our world in the midst of our celebrating the birth of Christ. Uh, There's all sorts of stuff that's, uh, you know, just a little bit stranger, a little bit different. There are uh, gobs of of online Christmas shows. There are... um, Zoom caroling and and live stream caroling uh, things that that are happening. There's there's all sorts of stuff this year that is different for Christmas. And, And maybe you're feeling a little bit of that too. Maybe you're recognizing that there are some things that are different this Christmas. And Maybe those things have to do with the fact that we're in the midst of a pandemic and we're all wearing masks and uh, we're, we're all kind of, you know, doing that kind of thing. But maybe they don't. Maybe this Christmas is different for some other reason. Uh, but there's still something there that you can recognize. Hey, this Christmas is a, a little bit different than, than the one before or the few before because this thing happened in my life. And, and sometimes different Christmases are good, And sometimes different Christmases are challenging. Well, what we have here in in Isaiah 61, the Old Testament reading that we're reading today, is uh, we have a little bit of that sense of a different Christmas. Now, because it's Isaiah, it's not Christmas. Because Jesus hasn't come yet. He hasn't been born yet. Uh, and, And so it's not a different Christmas, but it is a different experience of life. So here we are at the end of Isaiah, at Isaiah 61, and in this part of Isaiah, what Isaiah is doing is he is prophesying about the future of Israel. He's prophesying about what is going to be coming for them in the midst of a time when they are being led out of their homes for a very different experience of what life is going to be. They are leaving their homes in order to be brought off into exile, into the, the nation of Babylon. And Babylon is taking them from, from their homes. Uh, it's taking them from a, a lot of their traditions. It's taking them from a lot of what is normal in their lives. And, and it's, it's saying, no longer are you able to do that. Now what you have to do is you have to come and, and we're going to separate you from your land. We're going to separate you from your God in a lot of ways. We're going to make it uh, sort of illegal for you to continue to worship in the way that you do. And uh, we're, we're going to, to just basically separate you from any sort of identity that, that you used to have in this. And, and so it's a very different experience that they're going into right now. As they think about, okay, what does it mean for us to leave our homes and leave what is comfortable and leave what is normal for us in order to live in this experience of exile? And and perhaps there's something there that resonates with us. Perhaps there's something there that resonates with us as we think about how different this Christmas is going to be and how different this. basically this past year it's been, and, and what are the things that we're looking forward to, and, and what are the returns that we're looking for, and, and what are the, those things that we fear, perhaps, that uh, as we move from uh, certain things this year that, that we've completely lost? And we, we start to, to think about all of that in the frame of what's going on with the people of Israel in the midst of this story is uh, they're certainly feeling the effects of what it's like to go into a new life to go into a life where it seems like there, there's nothing that you can rely on anymore there's there's nothing that's prescripted where everything seems like it's different the moment that you wake up in the morning And so as we uh, look into this period of Israel's history we have this prophet isaiah who is prophesying about a coming day he's prophesying about this this coming day when everything will be set right he's prophesying about the moment when israel will be released from bondage when israel will no longer be in exile when they will return to the land that god has given to them after a period And so what what Isaiah is doing here is he is showing the people of Israel that there's still a reason for hope. There's still a reason for them to look forward. There's still a reason in the midst of all of this change. There's still something that they can look forward to. And, And even though all, at least most of the change that they're looking at, is going to be hard for them and difficult for them. He's showing them That there's hope in the future. He's showing them that there's something that they can rely on. A promise of God. That they can say, that's something that I'll continue to look forward to. That's something that I'll continue to uh, think about. That's something that I will continue to look forward to in my life and hope for. And and the way that he starts it off, gives us sort of a, a, a little bit of a clue. He says, the the spirit of the Lord is upon me in order to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And and what he's talking about there, most likely, is is this sense of a a year of jubilee. Uh, So, what would have happened in agricultural Israel at the time was uh, not only did you have Sabbath weeks. So we kind of know about the sense of a Sabbath in terms of a week, that there's six days in which you work and then one day in which you rest and you don't do anything. And, and that, uh, that idea was expanded out in terms of the year. And so uh, not only did you have a Sabbath Sabbath week but you had this sort of sense of Sabbath years and so what would happen in agricultural Israel if you were a farmer which most everybody was at some level was that you recognized that okay what I am going to do is I'm going to spend six years planting and using my field and that seventh year you were not allowed to plant anything. That seventh year was a year in which you let your field rest. You let the fields go fallow. That's how we talk about that now. And, and there was this sense of, uh, okay, that is uh, what happens in Israel. That's how we do this. In fact, you uh, can even find farmers in Israel today who, who continue to do this. And what you could have done during that seventh year is you couldn't plant anything but you could, if there were any volunteer plants that came up, you could eat off of that. And so basically what you got into was that seventh year was a year of, of sort of subsistence farming. You, you could only gather that which you absolutely needed. And so it was supposed to be this time that, that you recognize your dependence on God. It was supposed to be this time in which you, you recognized, okay, this is what God is, is giving me without my having to work for it, which was the same sense, sense of the weekly Sabbath, that it, here was going to be a year in, in which you were doing the, this, that you were saying, okay, God, I really need you to take care of me because if you don't take care of me, uh, I, I'm not doing so well. And, and also, interestingly, what you could eat from was simply the the sort of leftovers, the the sort of consequences of that which you had planted for the past six years. And and then you expand that out then to a series of seven of those cycles. And and so you have a, a series of these cycles that are six years plus one year of letting things lie fallow, And once you get seven of those, so 49 years, once you get seven of those, you have this thing that is called the year of Jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor. And that, because of the life expectancy of people in that time, that was a time that pretty much everybody only saw once in their entire lifetime that everybody got an experience of the year of Jubilee once in their lifetime, pretty much. Sort of like the sense that we had when we came to this pandemic and we we started talking about the Spanish flu that was sort of a lifetime ago for most people. As, As we started talking about what it meant to be in a pandemic, none of us knew what it meant to be in a pandemic because everybody who had experienced that already, pretty much except for a few old people that they put on TV, all of us were like, that happened a lifetime ago. These things only come around once once a lifetime, once every generation. And that's sort of the sense that you had here with this year of Jubilee, that it was something that people really only experienced about once in their lifetime. And that was good news for some people, because it was good news that the year of the Lord's favor was going to come, except that it was maybe not so good news that that was going to be the timing for Isaiah. Because all of the people who knew about the year of Jubilee and who had already experienced a year of Jubilee, well, they knew that they probably weren't going to see another one. And if this was going to be set on the course of the year of Jubilee, they knew that they were probably going to die in exile in Babylon. And they had to be okay with that. They had to figure that out in their life. But they knew that life continued on. They knew that there was going to be another year of the Lord's favor. They knew that there was going to be another year of Jubilee. They knew that there was going to be another year in which God would bring his people out of exile. He would bring them out of bondage. He would bring them out of uh, the, the the prison experience that they were in and bring them back to the land that he had given them. One of the things about the year of Jubilee was that in the year of Jubilee, this happens once every 50 years, uh, one of the things that happens in the year of Jubilee was uh, that that year where you were supposed to allow your fields to lie fallow, you, you weren't required to do that anymore. You, you could plant. You, you could actually experience plenty. You, you could experience more than what you ever had before because you had this extra year of working and saving and, uh, and, and it, it was this real boom to the economy. You also, during that time, you forgave the debts of people that owed you money. Now that would cause mass chaos in, in our society today, but you can think about how good that news would have been. That once every 50 years or, or once in a lifetime, you knew that you were going to be in a moment where everybody's debts were canceled. Where everybody was going to be freed from uh, the things that tied them down. That all of the bond servants were going to be let go from their contracts. That uh, all of the things that oppressed people were going to be taken away. And that was something that you could hope for. That was something that you could look forward to. It was something that you could rejoice in. It was something that was really, really, really good news. And knowing that, knowing what it is to be in a year of Jubilee, knowing what it is that, that Isaiah is using here as, as sort of an understanding of, of what it will be like to be freed from exile We can apply that now to our lives as we wait for Jesus. That we do have hope. That there's a reason for hope. That there is a reason to see beyond the difficulties of this Christmas. There's a reason to see beyond the difficulties of our present life. That there's a reason to see beyond all of this and to hope. And to say, I know that there is something greater out there. I know that there is someone greater out there. But where we are is in the midst of one of those Sabbath years. One of those years where the fields lay fallow. One of those years where we're connecting with people remotely. One of those years where we're trying to figure out what little bit of subsistence Christmas we can make happen in our lives. But that's okay. Because in the midst of this Sabbath year, in the midst of this year in which all we are doing is eating the consequences of what we have sown and recognizing that the consequences of what we have sown are the consequences of our own sins. We look forward to a time when we will eat the planting of the Lord in the year of the Lord's favor, We look forward to a time when we will be ushered into a resurrection that is paid for by a little baby boy who was born in Bethlehem. We're looking forward to that year of jubilee, that year of rejoicing when we will be with God for all time and all of the cycles of our world. And because all we will do is live in an eternal, everlasting, all-righteous, all-joyful eternity with Christ. So may you this week rejoice. Even in the midst of a Sabbath year. Because you know that what lies ahead of you. Is the year of the Lord's favor. That has been paid for by his son. Jesus Christ. Amen.